Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and love. hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching our second reading this morning is from matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. now the birth of jesus the messiah took place in this way when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son and named him Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Bree. Good morning again, everybody. It's uh, wonderful to be here with you today. Uh, those of you, thank you to those of you who are here with us in the room, and thank you to those of you who are watching along at home. We appreciate you being part of this community as well. My name is Dan Cook, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Genesis, um, and it is a joy for me every time I get to be up here and speak with you and to you. Uh, it is especially a joy to be doing it at this time of the year during Advent. I'm really excited to be part of this. And we've, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we have this theme that we're carrying through the Advent season of from generation to generation. And so the question then becomes, how do we find joy, that third week of Advent theme, in the movement of God's promise, the movement of God's care and concern from generation to generation? And so we land on this passage this week, which is the story of Joseph, who isn't talked about a lot in the scriptures. We don't know a lot about Joseph, but we do know a little bit. And it's a very important story that I think has a lot to teach us about that influence of previous generations on our lives and about the influence of our lives on future generations and how in that movement we find joy. So we start in verse 18 here where it tells us that Joseph and Mary are in this engagement period. There's two important things about that. One, we have to understand Jewish marriage rituals in that time in that place. Jewish marriages were often, very, very often, arranged. So families would get together, arrange a marriage. Sometimes that husband and wife would never have even met each other. 
when that marriage was agreed upon. But when it's agreed upon, we're going. And being this betrothal period between that agreement and then the actual ceremony and the consummation of the marriage can sometimes last up to a year. We're often wanting to layer our idea of engagement upon that. It's not exactly accurate. It, it's analogous, but not exactly. It's far more locked in, put it that way, than our modern sense of engagement was. So it's during this period of time that we learn that Mary is pregnant, or that Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant. Now we find in the text there, it says that it's the Holy Spirit that's responsible for this child. Important to understand over the next couple of verses, Joseph doesn't know that yet. He hasn't learned that. All he knows is Mary is pregnant, and obviously that child is not his. He's well aware of the fact that that child is not his. And so that brings us to verse 19 as Joseph starts to make a series of choices. And in verse 19, it says, Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. I think the first question that pops up for me there is, being a righteous man, what does righteousness have to do with all of this? Remember, we think of righteousness these days as being rightly related to God, right? That we're following the trajectory God has laid out for our lives. So how does that affect Joseph's decision? Also, we have to understand that in that second temple period, in the time of Joseph and Mary, righteousness was thought of as being adherent to the law, following the law. Which makes sense, right? Because the law was provided to people as a way of finding that trajectory that God has laid out for our lives. That's what it was supposed to be. But in our humanness, we took the law and we turned it into a way to rank ourselves against one another. We turned it into its own idol and we, it took us away from that trajectory rather than bring us towards it. So these two competing ideas, right? It says, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace. So is the unwillingness to expose her to public disgrace a result of Joseph's righteousness? Or does it exist in opposition to or just alongside of Joseph's righteousness? I say that because most translations render it pretty much the way that the NRSV does. Except the NIV, the New International Version, instead of saying, calling Joseph a righteous man, they call Joseph a man who follows the law. And so they're hammering that idea of following the law. And then they add another word that's not in the original language. They add, a, they add the word yet. So it reads, being a man who follows the law and yet unwilling to expose her to public disgrace. So you, you're left with this question. Is Joseph's righteousness, is his adherence to the law, is his reflecting the will and the love of God responsible for him deciding to dismiss Mary quietly? Or is he dismissing Mary quietly despite the fact that he's adhering to the law. Because remember, in that time, the law would have allowed Joseph to be very public about declaring, this kid isn't mine, I don't know what happened here, but I'm no longer going to be part of this marriage. He could have done that very publicly. Because, of course, small town, people talk, people would have noticed Mary was pregnant and would have known, hey, wait a minute, that wedding hasn't happened yet. What's going on? So he could have stood up and made a very public pronouncement under the law. Under the law, though it was rare in that time, if he wanted to, he could have had Mary stoned. But he chose something else. And yes, you may be thinking right now, well, gee, Dan, why would we celebrate the idea of a guy not having a young teenage pregnant woman executed publicly? That seems kind of like a bare minimum decision. They were not going to go there, right? That's maybe not something we should be celebrating. But we have to be responsible readers when we look at this, right? 
We have to take our current moral and ethical lenses off and put on the moral and ethical lenses of that time, of that culture, of that place. It was rare that a public execution like that would have happened. That wasn't likely in this case. It wasn't terribly rare in the case of an adulterous relationship that they made a very public pronouncement about it. So Joseph makes the decision to quietly dismiss Mary, right? He didn't know that she hadn't been unfaithful to him. He didn't know that the Holy Spirit was responsible for this child. He didn't know any of that, but he made what we would think, and I think is fairly, regardless of whatever culture you're in, he made a better choice. He made the choice that he was going to dismiss her quietly. He wasn't going to embarrass her. He wasn't going to publicly shame her. He wasn't going to turn her into a pariah in that town, in that place, by announcing to everybody, hey, this isn't my kid. They would have put two and two together when the marriage didn't happen, but he still didn't make a public spectacle out of it. Which brings us to today's all play, because I wonder, what if he had stopped there? This is one of those things where sometimes when we study scripture, we get so focused on the text itself that we don't walk around in it. We don't stop and ask ourselves imagined question, questions that inspire our imagination. So think about that for a minute. Let's say Joseph stops there. Let's say Joseph decides, I'm not going to publicly embarrass her, but I'm not going through with this wedding. Now, God's going to accomplish God's purposes in Jesus' life regardless of any human decisions that are made. And yet, think about Mary, a teenage girl, pregnant, no husband, nobody to support her. What's going through her mind now as Joseph comes and tells her, wedding's off? And remember, all plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus and not just the voice of the solo. So anybody that has a thought, what pops into your mind? There is no right answer here. We're just exploring this idea. What happens? What is Mary thinking? Terror and anger, yes. That's a fair point. She would have been embarrassed anyhow, regardless if the wedding didn't happen. I heard something over here. Fear and desperation, yeah. She feel betrayed by God. Excellent, John. Yeah. Wait a minute, God. You told me, you told me this was going to work out, and now my husband left me. Yeah. We, we know that Mary eventually goes to visit her sister Elizabeth. That, probably, that process probably gets moved up because it's probably the only support that she would have. Kristen says scared online. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Katie says, we think of Mary as a very strong woman. And what if she had just decided, okay, I'll do this on my own. I don't need a husband. I can do this. I can take care of this child. I have the support of God. It's an excellent way of looking at it. Thank you, Katie. It's interesting to think about though, right? What if he had stopped there? And yet we know from the text that he made a different choice. And so we start to look at verses 20, 24, and 25 when he starts making that second choice. So verse 20 says, but just when he had resolved to do this, to decide to dismiss her quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And the artwork that we have today uh, is, you remember throughout this 
uh, Advent season and on the wall are previous week's worth of artwork. The artwork that we have today is Joseph sleeping. And as I've been thinking about this piece of artwork all week long, I've been thinking, is that Joseph mid-dream? Is that Joseph after the angel has come to him in the dream and now he's resting quietly in this new decision that he's going to make? Where is he in that process, in that piece of artwork? I don't know that there's a correct answer. I think it's just a fascinating thought experiment. And remember that he's labeled here by this angel, Joseph, son of David. That son of David part is going to become important here in just a minute. But I want to continue into verse 24 where it says, When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. Verse 25, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and he named him Jesus. So here is where Joseph finally learns that it's the Holy Spirit that's responsible for this child, not an act of adultery. And so he knows now that he is no longer bound by the law, no matter how adherent he is to the law, no matter how much he feels the law is going to guide him into the, the trajectory that God has laid out for his life, that law no longer binds him to dismiss Mary, to leave this marriage that he can honor that marriage covenant going forward. And so that's the decision that he makes. Even though Mary knows, now he knows, nobody else does. I mean, they could tell people, but if somebody who was pregnant came along and told any of us, the Holy Spirit's responsible for this child, we might have a series of questions, right? Even the most faithful of us would have some questions. So he's made this choice. I'm going to honor this marriage covenant even though other people are going to think that this woman has slept with somebody else. I'm still going to honor it. And I'm not only going to honor it, I'm not going to try and move up that ceremony such that we can consummate this marriage and we can try and trick people into thinking that this child is of my blood. I am going to rest in the fact that God has told me this child is of the Holy Spirit and that's enough. And in fact, in that last half of verse 25, the critical portion there is, and he named him Jesus. Naming a child in that time and in that place was claiming that child in that time, in that place. By naming that child, Joseph says, doesn't matter if he's of my blood, if he, even if he's not, I'm adopting him. And by adopt, an adoption in that sense made you just as much a part of that line, that genealogy that we talked about a couple of weeks ago as being a blood relative. Adoption was just as strong. And so it didn't matter anymore whether Jesus was of Joseph's blood or not. Joseph had claimed that child. That child was just as much Joseph's as anyone he sired. That's a very, very important piece there. So in the story, we have Joseph approaching a difficult, awkward, uncomfortable situation with grace and mercy and compassion. And by the grace of God, he makes, he's prompted to go beyond that initial choice and make a better choice. And that's important because we in our lives make choices too, Right? Uh, again, I talked about sanctified art providing the artwork and if they provide some of the prayers for us. There's a uh, theologian by the name of Dr. Christine Hong that provides some prompts for preaching. And I want to read you one of the things she wrote about this passage. She said, The part of me is frustrated with Joseph. It took the hand of God for him to choose a better way. However, when I reflect upon my frustration, I realize in many ways we are each Joseph. Each day we are faced with opportunities to do and be better in our relationships with one another and with the world. Yet when we are faced with opportunities to put our privilege and power at risk, to do what is right, we often decline to engage. Risk discomforts power. See, the easy lesson from this passage is listen to God, make better choices like Joseph did. That's the easy lesson. 
And that's there. It's true. I'm not trying to dismiss that at all. I'm saying we need to go deeper than that. Because when we think about it, and we try to go deeper than that, when we try to understand how and why Joseph made the decisions that he made, we can start to find ways in how and why we make the decisions we make. And once you start to understand that, the idea of risking your power and your privilege and making better choices becomes more clear, becomes easier, becomes something you feel compelled to do, I think. Because in many ways, we are the, we are the product of the choices of our ancestors, right? Often, not always, often, things like where we live, where we worship, what kind of work we do, are strongly influenced by the people that came before us. I'll give you a very simple example. I am the product of public education. And I am the product of public school because both of my parents went to Catholic school. And their experience in Catholic school said, nope, our kids are going to public school. It wasn't that when I, raised, when I became kindergarten age, I raised my hand and said, I want to go to public school. No, I had no idea. And look, that's not to knock Catholic schools or parochial schools or private schools or home schools. Those are all various great ways to educate children. I'm not trying to rank one against the other. I'm saying that the experience of my parents led to a choice that greatly influenced my life and formed who I am, in part. And that choice that they made was based on a choice their parents made was based on a choice their parents made and so on and so forth. And my experience would then influence my advice to somebody about public school versus private school going forward. That's the idea of choices and the influence on somebody's life from generation to generation. And again, a very simple uh, example of it. But that doesn't always mean that we do exactly what our ancestors did or that their choices are things that we have no control over you know, in our own lives, right? We think about Joseph's ancestors and how the choices they made might have influenced this choice that he was making. There's a whole lot of negative object examples in his history. Remember a couple of weeks ago when John Powell uh, blessfully uh, read this long genealogy worth of names. When you start going through that genealogy in the first portion of chapter 1 of Matthew and you start remembering the stories of some of these ancestors, look, let's start with Abraham, right? That's the furthest back that genealogy goes. Remember, Abraham was the man that impregnated one of his slaves at his wife's suggestion. But then when his real heir was born, as I do scare quotes for somebody that might not be watching, when his real heir was born, he packed up that slave girl and her child and sent them off. Here's some food, here's some water, there's the wilderness, good luck to you. Do you think that story might have been spinning in the back of Joseph's head a little bit? Or about Joseph's ancestor, Jacob. Remember Jacob, when he was young, stole his brother's birthright. And then as he grew older, he created a toxic relationship between two sisters and their children by marrying both of them and favoring one over the other. You think that story might have been rattling around Joseph's head in some way? Or what about his ancestor, David? Remember, Joseph, son of David. What did David do? David impregnated Bathsheba. And there's all kinds of questions about consent going on there. But David impregnated Bathsheba, and then to legitimize that child, had Bathsheba's husband sent to the front lines of a battle where he knew Uriah would be killed. So he could then marry Bathsheba and legitimize the child. You think that story was rattling around Joseph's head somewhere? But it's not just the negative object examples. There's positive ones too, right? Look in that family, uh, that family tree. What about Rahab? Rahab, remember the prostitute from Jericho? 
who protected her entire family, old and young, protected them all by hiding a couple of Israelite spies before Israel, Israel attacked Jericho, who went against her town and made sure that her family was protected. Maybe that story was in Joseph's mind. Or what about Joseph's ancestor, Ruth? One of my favorite stories in the Bible, the book of Ruth. Ruth wasn't even an Israelite. Ruth was, came from the land of Moab and married an Israelite husband who then died and, whose father, and her father-in-law dies. And she's left alone with her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law says, Ruth, go home. Find a husband. Find somebody that can take care of you. I can't help you. I'm an old woman. I don't have much worth. And Ruth said, no. You're my family. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. And where you go, I will go. You think that story was rattling around Joseph's head? I'm not saying that Joseph went through each one of these stories and thought them through and how that was going to influence what decisions he made, but he would have been familiar with all of those stories. And collectively, those stories form the foundation from which, as he's sleeping, as the angel comes to him and says, no, it's okay, you can marry, you can marry this woman. The child is legitimate. The child comes from the Holy Spirit. He leans then on that foundation and goes, oh, okay. I've seen what it looks like to abandon women and their children. I've seen what it looks like to protect families, and I'm going to choose to protect my family. You can see how from generation to generation, choices and decisions and stories and ideas ripple through time. So I said just a bit ago that the moral of this story, the lesson from this story, isn't just listen to God and make better choices like Joseph did. The lesson here is to understand that we have been formed by previous choices and how we have been formed by previous choices. And then when we are armed with that knowledge, when we are armed with that understanding, with that insight, we can start to make better decisions. We can start to truly listening for how the Spirit is moving in those choices from generation to generation to help form our lives, to help us make better decisions to go forward, to help our choices help generations to come. And then we can summon the courage to put our privilege and our power at risk like Joseph did. Joseph knew that going through with this marriage and naming and claiming this child was going to cause a lot of talk in that town. And some people weren't going to come to him for business like they used to and some people weren't going to speak to him and treat him with the respect that they're used to and he said, I don't care, I'm protecting my family. That takes courage. That choice took courage on Joseph's part. And we can learn from that. We can learn from that because part of summoning that courage is trusting in God's promise. What's God's promise? God's promise comes in part in that passage from Isaiah that we read as the first scripture reading today. I'm going to read you a portion that's... We, we looked at the message version in our liturgy today, but I'm going to read you a portion from the NSRV or NRSV. It says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. God's promise of renewal and restoration for all people, for all creation, lies on the other side of that risk that we take when we summon the courage to risk our privilege and risk our power and make better decisions. Even if those better decisions result in negative consequences immediately for us, we rest in the promise that God is going to restore and renew all things. Even now, if I have to suffer for making the right decision, I know 
that joy is on the other side. I know that joy is coming because God has promised it and God is a God that keeps God's promises from generation to generation. So the story of Joseph is the story of a man who knew the generations that he had come from. Is the story of a man who, who knew the nature of the God that he followed and knew that it was his job as a divine image bearer to reflect the nature of that God who he followed to the rest of the world. The story of Joseph is a story of a man who learned to combine all of those things together in a way that risked his own power and privilege to do what was right. It's the story of a man who trusted God to watch over him and his family in that risk. And it's the story of a man who took the words of the prophet seriously, took them to heart, and rested in God's promise of that ultimate restoration, renewal, and joy. And as we are rejoined by our kids, hi, kids. You got just a couple of minutes left. And then it'll be Jesus snack time. It'll be great. The story of Joseph, Genesis, is our story. His story is our story. So the thing to take away from today is that we get to know who we are. We get to know how choices made before us influence us in our lives. And we get to make decisions either in agreement with or in opposition to those choices going forward because we know our choices are going to resonate with generations to come. We get to know that we can take risks. We can risk our power. We can risk our privilege. And we can do the right thing because even if it may go sideways here and now, God has promised us restoration and renewal and joy. And we can rest in that promise and we can summon courage in that promise and that allows us to take those risks. Know that you can take those risks. Know that you can have that courage and know that you can count on the promise of God's joy, of God's restoration, of God's renewal because Joseph's story is our story. The story of generations past is the story of us now, is the story of generations to come. Just as Jesus was adopted into that line of Joseph, Joseph every bit as much had those ancestors that Jesus did. Just as Jesus was adopted into that line, we are adopted into that line through following Christ. Joseph's story is our story, and we get to count on, lean on, use as a foundation decisions made by our ancestors, decisions made by our spiritual ancestors. We get to learn from that and take from that to make Summon the courage to, do, to take the risk to make better choices here and now, choices that will hopefully positively influence future generations to come. Joseph's story is our story. Know who you are. Amen? Amen. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like, like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.